Hey, what's up? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Muse Room. My name's Katie, and I will be your host as we meander into the lives of inspiring and creative people. This is a hub for makers, thinkers, and anyone else that is doing the work that they truly want to be doing. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited to be back. Before we get into today's interview, I wanted to read a review. Uh, This one is from Hope K Music, titled Great Podcast, Five Stars. She said, thoughtful, educational, entertaining. These words all describe Katie's podcast. I enjoy hearing how other creatives got their start, stay inspired, and run their businesses. Highly recommend. Thank you so much for leaving that review. It really means a lot when you guys leave reviews. I read them all and they help me stay inspired and they're one of the best ways to to support the podcast. So reviews are what helps the podcast get into more ears. It'll show up more on iTunes so that these inspiring stories can get into the ears that need them. So if you haven't left a review yet, please do so on iTunes or whatever app you're listening on. It takes about five minutes, and I would really appreciate it, and you'll get a shout-out in the episode. So thank you for listening, and thank you for leaving that review. This week on the podcast for episode 27, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Rachel Wentworth. Rachel is the co-founder of 40 Winks, which is a lingerie shop in Boston, um, specifically Cambridge, Massachusetts. And she is also the host of a really amazing podcast called Keeping Shop. I found her podcast a couple months ago and have been listening ever since. She interviews all sorts of brick and mortar businesses and it's really interesting to listen to. In our conversation, Rachel tells us about her inspiration to let go and how she moved through burnout at the beginning of the year, how being an older sibling prepared her to be a good leader in her business. She tells us about how she got into the brick and mortar game and how 40 Wings got its start. She also tells us a lot about how it's so important to have a business plan and that It's important to realize that when you're starting out, you will be overwhelmed and it's going to be hard and you just have to push through that. We also talk a lot about podcasting and how she started her podcast. We talk about how you can really create a community with podcasting and how a smaller audience can sometimes be more valuable than a larger, more diluted audience. All right, well, I don't wanna give it all away, so let's just get into it. Here's my conversation with Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks. I'm so glad that you're here too. So my podcast is all about talking to creatives and small business owners and talking about their journey and what inspires them to stay on that journey. So I always like starting off by asking about what's inspiring you. So what has been fueling you and inspiring you to stay on your path? This is a good a good question because it like made me really think about what does inspire me and I what kept coming up for me was something that um kind of happened to me after Christmas. I had celebrated Christmas with my family and I was coming home and I did not want to do any work. Like I was I felt a little burnt out and it was kind of weird because I'm actually around the first of the year. Like most people, I feel like kind of, I feel like people get kind of invigorated around working and because it's like they're making resolutions and goals and all of that. And I just felt like I couldn't do it. So I, maybe it was top of mind, but it seemed like a lot of other creatives in my sphere were feeling the same way. And there's like, what inspired me was inspiration to just let go and not feel like I had to be working all the time. Hmm. And I did not post anything on Instagram for like two weeks and I didn't feel bad about it. And everyone around me was independently kind of coming up with this 
idea as well of just like completely like allowing ourselves to truly turn it off. And my friend Michelle Barrett, who owns a beautiful, she's a beautiful potter and she owns a beautiful brick and mortar in Massachusetts. She posted this book by Marley Grace and I actually have not bought it yet. But that yeah, I know the book you're talking about. Do you know how to yeah. like how to not always be working? I think the name yes. of it is, mm-hmm. and I am going to dive into that because when this question came through, I was like, so I was thinking, what does inspire me? And I there's nothing right now that I feel like I feel so excited to work because I allowed myself to truly not work, and that was that was inspiring, and the movement around that is inspiring to me right now. If that I love, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And because normally I feel like we force ourselves to just push through the burnout instead of mm-hmm. feeling it. Yeah. And it's like feeling it is really helpful because it makes me, it made me, and I think it makes us like understand what it is we actually do want to be working on. Right. And like we can mm-hmm. trim fat that way in terms of like, trying to do too many things when it comes to growing our businesses. And when you sit in the burnout a little bit, there eventually comes time for most entrepreneurs and small business owners that something does then kind of reignite you and light you up again. And those are the things that we should be chasing. So for me, that was when I started my podcast back up and I started posting again, I feel like I brought sort of even to my like Instagram posts, I felt like I sort of brought more heart to it because I wasn't just going through the motions around it. So, like something had happened in those like two weeks of actually just being like, screw it. I am not actually going to work. Like I, if I, the idea would pop into my mind to work and I would just say, nope, I don't want to do it. Mm. You know? And I mean, to be fair, I have a brick and mortar, so I was always working. <laughs> right. But you weren't. Yeah, I get But I wasn't like pushing myself forward with other projects that Mm -hmm. I have built into my life intentionally and and with great a great deal of excitement. But um, I just kind of like let that stuff go for a while and I came back to it totally refreshed. So I think it was really beneficial to me. That's so cool. So did you were there was there anything that you were doing during that time that you think helped or was it just simply letting it go? So, I mean, I was still connecting with people in my life that I value in terms of their, I'm collaborating with or I'm meeting with even for coffee to talk about ideas that we've had together or so definitely I was still connecting with people but that's like the best part of what I do so that doesn't feel like work to me and um so I was I was still doing all that but it was the stuff that I just always you know there's the stuff that we feel like we have to do to sort of keep up with the rat race as creatives and that's what I just decided like I was going to take myself out of that rat race even if it meant that people wouldn't hear from me for a while and I was like admittedly a little nervous about that (laughs) and um I came back and I feel like people appreciated it so yeah did you take the time or were you able to take more time to do more self-care things or more time with family and that kind of stuff yeah I mean it was interesting because I have a baby who had just turned a year old and um we I I guess I spent more focused time with her in a way that sort of celebrated all the milestones that we were kind of reaching together. She, she had just turned a year old and she's starting to talk and she's getting ready to walk and all of those things. And, you know, actually I was listening to your, um, an earlier one of your podcasts and I really, I forgot the lady's name, but she talks about how, you know, um, 
she like at the end of the day when she's been with her children and everyone's been trying to like multitask and work and do all these projects at the same time that they're spending time together as the family everyone ends up really frustrated and how I just like that really resonated with me I was like wow that's so smart because it's true at the end of the day if I'm trying to like email someone back while my kid you know while I'm feeding my kid and you know all this stuff is just like so frustrating and multitasking is just not really possible in in a lot of ways so right you know it's like it's it's something that you know we as women are good at and I'm I'm air quoting because I think that's just like a way for male dominated society to kind of put more work on us right <laughs> by saying, I don't, yeah multitasking isn't a real thing I don't think no, I agree, I agree. <laughs> it's not something that you, you can't do everything to the best of your ability if your mind is in 700 different directions and of yeah. course of course like that's necessary sometimes and you know I am good at it but I'm not good at really diving into a project or spending quality time with my family or if I'm if my mind is all torn up, you know? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So now that you're on the other side of that, have are you doing things differently? Well, I'm back on my my for as far as the podcast goes, you know, I'm back on my biweekly release schedule, so that gives me some structure <laughs> and yeah. I kind of know what I have to to post and and I know kind of where to go and so that is back on and I have been super super busy at my brick and mortar because we we sell bras and underwear we're a lingerie store and Valentine's Day is coming up so <laughs> we're working on all of our marketing and I just have a lot of things that kind of I know I have to do so I'm sort of the guesswork has been taken out of all of it and I'm just sort of my head is down and my structure is there and I am I'm excited about a lot of the stuff that's going on so I'm glad I took that break yeah definitely it sounds like you really do feel refreshed yeah I do I really do yeah I haven't really I guess I can't totally relate because I'm just kind of starting in my business. Mm. So if I do feel any bit of a burnout, I feel like maybe I'll ignore it. But I think it's definitely something that I need to keep in mind to pay attention to and take a step back. Yeah. And I think like burnout and just being tired are different, you know, like at, I've started two businesses now and at the beginning of both of my businesses like I was tired and I was like sick of certain things but I wasn't burnt out I was super mm. excited you know right. and like it's it um I think that there is like sort of a longevity when you've been in a business for a while like burnout becomes a little it like knocks on your door a little more often mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. I definitely am in that new, like, fuzzy phase yeah. of being super excited about everything. Yeah, and it is so exciting. And even when you're five years in and, you know, you are feeling a little bit burnt out about certain things, like, you will get that back, you know, as long as that. And if you don't, then maybe, like, it's time to rethink, like, your business plan. <laughs> but right. you know what I mean? Like, I always get it back. But it's just, like, for people that have been in it for a while, that we like I said we kind of like flirt with burnout sometimes and I think mm -hmm. that if you are smart and you can start recognizing those sort of feelings of burnout and sort of addressing them head on then those fun like excited warm and fuzzies will come back yeah more quickly mm -hmm. that makes sense and it's funny that you mentioned uh that book, How to Not Always Be Working, yeah. because I just listened to an interview with Marley Grace today. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you heard of the Let It Out with Katie Dalebout oh podcast? Oh my gosh, yes, yes, I have. Yeah, she just had Marley Grace on today. Ooh, I have to listen to that. Yeah, you'll have to. I'll leave it in the show notes because everyone should give it a listen. Marley is such a gem. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so I want to take it back a bit and go back to where it all started. So where are you from? What was your childhood like? Yeah. So I am from Maine originally, born and raised. Um, I'm the eldest of six kids, um, all the same parents. 
<laughs> my mom had six of us in 10 years. I don't know how she did it, especially since I only think I want one kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we had a really lovely childhood. We grew up on the coast of Maine and, you know, I mean big family like also equals big drama but also big love you know like lots of yeah it's like all of the feelings about a big huge family um and I being the oldest I think I took on I learned to take on a lot of responsibility at a young age um I was babysitting when I was 11 you know it was just sort of like I was responsible for helping my mom a lot with my younger siblings. And um, I think that it sort of prepared me to lead in a way that I'm only kind of understanding now, maybe over the last like couple of years. Um, Now that I have a bigger staff and I'm in charge of um, making sure people are happy, but also that they're sort of coming up and challenging themselves within the job and all of that. Like, I think that I learned a lot of those leadership skills being the eldest. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't all great because I think I also take on a lot of (laughs) people's um, problems in a way and kind of make them my own in a sort of ego driven way that I think can be sort of linked back to my childhood. But all in all, I think that um, being the eldest and being hyper responsible and hypersensitive to other people has prepared me well for business ownership. What else about my... Okay, so I went to University of Maine and I studied English. Um, I did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up for a very, very long time. I danced with a lot of different ideas. Um, Mm. I moved to Boston because sadly, even though Maine is like the most beautiful state in the whole country, it is not a super uh job (laughs) doesn't have a lot to offer in terms of uh jobs um so I left and moved to Boston and I started working in a corporate setting and I really hated it and I did not want to be there and I ended up calling my parents in tears and being like I know you're going to be so mad at me I'm giving up health insurance but I am quitting and um I started hostessing because I didn't ever I had no waitressing experience and I didn't know what I was doing so they're like you can go to the hostess stand I started working at this little restaurant and then I ended up um, walking into this beautiful boutique in Harvard Square and which is right across the river from Boston and Cambridge and um, I asked them if they were hiring and they were and after working for them and managing their store for a couple of years, I realized that I wanted to be in the brick and mortar game myself. And I um, told them that I wanted to learn as much as possible from them. And they were very open to that. They became mentors. Um, I started working with a a woman named Meredith, who would later become my business partner. Um, And we, um, in 2009, we started very seriously considering opening our own lingerie store. It was something that our customers at the boutique were like begging for. Um, We, they didn't know where they could find bras and our friends were starting to get engaged and get married. And we were like, trying to find gifts and everyone that we knew had had a bad experience finding a bra and we were like it cannot be this hard why is this so difficult and we um started to sort of you know put our heads together we wrote a really extensive business plan and financial plan and uh started looking at spaces and we signed on our space which is still our space um in March of 2000 and 10 and um opened uh two days before my 27th birthday um on april 9th wow yeah and yeah and um it was awesome it was like that the most beautiful wonderful joyful thing i've ever done besides probably having my kid and maybe getting married but like it was like birthing you know this dream that we had together and um 
It, and working with a business partner is also kind of like a marriage as it, well. Oh, we call <laughs> each other our other life partner. Um, <laughs> we are in some ways more financially and legally bound to each other than we are to our respective husbands. <laughs> um, so that's something to think about <laughs> when you're deciding to open a business yeah. with a partner. But um, I would never want to do it without my business partner. Um, yeah. It's challenging with a business partner, but without without that person to, you know, bounce ideas off of and just commiserate with sometimes, um, it yeah. would be a lot different for me. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I want to dial it back just a little bit. Sure. Um, so you were working in a boutique before this all started. What about working in a boutique made you want to have your own brick and mortar? Yeah. Um, well, I think I started I was getting a little bit older and I think that my, the life that I wanted started sort of started to kind of form a little more. Um, I had not really known what I wanted to do and I was sort of trying out different things for a while. And then I being there and working with customers and working with the women that owned that store who are still some of my best friends, um, was like I kind of like felt like I was kind of coming home in terms of like understanding what it was where I could see myself going in terms of a career um and I started to be like I want to do this every day and I am doing this every day but I want it to be on my own terms and I want it to be my store right um so just being in that environment was really inspirational but it, and it also like I said kind of like solidified what it was that I wanted to do and I think I've always been drawn to entrepreneurship and small business and um, working for myself and not having to answer to anyone and yeah. all of that so that was always um, kind of in the back of my mind but it really came to the front when I, I worked in that kind of environment. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So you said that, um, the people at the boutique that you worked with kind of turned into sort of mentors and yeah. are they still, uh, do they still kind of hold that place in your life as yeah. now you've had that business now for a few years? Yeah. So I think they've kind of turned more into just like friends peers. and peers that are also business owners. Like, you know, we are on a group text with them and a few other of our friends that are business owners. And we're always like asking questions like, how are your numbers? Are you opening today, even though there's a huge snowstorm? You know, just mm -hmm. like things like that. Um, they are dear, dear friends who have become now like we can share like things that probably they weren't sharing with me as when we were mentors and mentees, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So um, I think we've just sort of like now that we're almost 10 years in and they're like over 15 years in, um, we've just sort of become like old friends with it, I guess, and um, less mentorship and more just like there for each other. Yeah, that's such a cool connection to have, though. Yes, very, very lucky. Yeah. So you met your business business partner while you were working there, right? Yes, I did. And how did you know that you guys wanted to work together? She was the one. <laughs> <laughs> Just intuitively knew? Yeah. I mean, we worked really well together and we, you know, not everyone is given that opportunity to actually work in an environment with the person that they choose to partner with, um, which was, we were really lucky that we ended up meeting that way, but we just like, she's very artistic and she's very good at things that I'm not necessarily good at. And then also I'm better at things that she's admittedly not super into. And we knew that from the very beginning that we had, qualities and talents and strengths that complemented each other, which is super important because when you partner and you're with someone, you want to be able to divide and conquer. You mm -hmm. don't want to be like 
both really good at graphic design. Like yeah. what you, you there's so much that comes at you in a day as a business owner. Like you need to be able to like each have the things that you're good at and be able to like, you know, just give that to the person and and you take on the other things that you're good at because there's actually she's been sick for like the last two weeks and I've been doing everything and I'm just like wow I can't do what she does you know like I'm not as good at it I can do it Mm -hmm. but it takes me like three times the amount yeah you know yeah so when you I think when we we realized that we like complemented each other in terms of our work our skills and we also had a very similar work ethic we both work really hard and kind of put our nose to the grindstone and just go um we just it it became apparent that we would we were also like really good friends and it was becoming apparent that um we would also work really well together in a business partnership um Mm -hmm. i did actually almost partner with a couple other people um before meredith and i sort of made that decision and um looking back even though they're like the most beloved people in my life I'm so glad that that didn't work out um and I think that's really important in if you want a little advice about if your listeners want advice about brick and mortar business ownership it's like wait until it's the right Mm person time space wait until your gut is telling you like yes this is right because I think we get really super excited about the prospect of opening a business and exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and then you can end up in situations like sometimes it works out great but sometimes you end up in situations where it's just clearly not the right thing and it's so much harder to like just untangle from those types of things. And so just, you know, if I can offer that, just wait yeah, until it's right. <laughs> that's really helpful. Cause like you said, we get so excited and we just push, push, push to make it happen when maybe it's not right. And then once we do have it, it doesn't turn out right and it right. fails. And then maybe we won't even think about the possibility of trying again. It'll just be kind yeah. of ruined. Yeah. Ruined, so that's right. Yeah, so that's really helpful. So now that we're on the topic of brick and mortar, let's kind of dig into that a little bit. So maybe talk about your experience of how you went about finding your space and anything that went into that. Tell us everything. So um, the first thing we did was we were still working at Mintulup, the boutique that we were at. We were still doing that and we were writing our business plan and getting our financials in order like after work. So um, I cannot stress more the importance of sitting down and going through the process, which is sort of an intense process of actually just doing the business plan. I know a lot of people don't want to do a business plan and there are a lot of people that are like, all you need is like a couple like pieces of paper and some post-it notes and you can like do any business plan you want like that's totally fine and that does work for a lot of people but I think when you're opening a brick and mortar at least in our case it was so helpful to just sit there and like go through every element that we could think of and sort of like figure out what we were going to do and a lot of things presented themselves that we didn't necessarily like even think about before we started that business plan um so then we got all of that in order and then it kind of became apparent that we were getting to the point where we needed to actually like find space and decide to lease a space. Um, So we knew where we wanted to be, which was a moneyed area of Cambridge called Harvard Square. It was also where Mint Julep was. We had clients there already. We had, we knew that we'd done a lot of market research, obviously, just like working at Mint Julep. And we knew like that there was a need for this type of shop there. So we did spend a lot of time like trying to figure out like where the money was going to come from so I would like basically we wanted to make sure that we were in an area where we weren't just relying on one type of money in terms of like okay there's students there because Harvard 
university is there. So like there are students there and they spend money. But we also knew that like we needed to have people in the neighborhood around us that would also spend money there. Mm-hmm. You can't just like rely on one source of money. You know, right. you have to have like a lot like there's also like a strong tourism industry in there because it's very historical. So like we knew there would be tourists spending money there. So that was definitely the place where we wanted to be. And then finding space was a complete nightmare. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was hard. So we looked at one space, but it was a little too far outside of the square, um, even though um, it wasn't at all outside, far outside of the square. But we wanted to be like right where everything was going to happen. And we were working with some people who just weren't taking us seriously. We had never owned a business before. We were tw- Meredith was 25. I was 26. Even though we were so prepared and so professional, I think that there was some ageism going on and certainly some sexism going on. Like people that were in charge of these buildings were just not taking us seriously. And we like went through it with it. It was so difficult and like definitely one of the hardest parts of the startup process for us because it was very like shocking and like that people would treat us like they did, you know? So we finally decided to revisit that first space that we looked at, which was in a, um, a trust. Um, a woman had owned it and had determined and in her, you know, like last will and testament that her building would only house small businesses and would not be um, home to any like corporate businesses. I love that. Yeah, it was really amazing. We didn't know that when we first looked at it. But in hindsight, the space being a little bit outside of the very center of Harvard Square has been such a benefit to it. It's private people don't feel like they're in a fishbowl when they're buying their underwear. And Mm. these are all things that we didn't really realize. We just sort of revisited the space. It felt right. And it ended up working out really, really well. Um, It was also a little bit cheaper in terms of rent. (laughs) So that was, it was like kind of meant to be. Yeah. That's funny that it was the first place that you looked at too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So how did you, after you got the space, what happened next? So we, um, well, so we had gone to some buying shows in anticipation of opening and we had written orders and we had, um, shipment coming. So we were like, we've got to find a space. Um, we could have bounced the boxes, obviously, but we didn't want to do that because we wanted relationships with these vendors. And mm-hmm. so we had already written orders and we hadn't even signed a lease. So that was a little stressful, but it ended up all working out. And then we did about, um, I don't know, probably like uh, six weeks of build out. Um, we built a wall across the fitting rooms. Like we just did a little bit of that. It was we did, you know, kind of as much on the cheap as we could. And then um, we we opened our doors. We had a big grand opening. And, you know, in the first week that we were open, we learned so much about what women really wanted from their bra shop. It was a very steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, I feel like now we're so old hat at it. Like, I don't, you know, I can't even... Some of the buying that we we did at that very, you know, the first um, um, like shipment of things was like so ridiculous. You know, we we're like buying a minimizing bra for like in a 32B, like no one that's a 32B wants to be minimized, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some people probably do, but may, most people don't or, like it's not necessary. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was like a super steep learning curve and we you know rose to the occasion and we worked nonstop, not a day off for I don't know three months I guess and then Meredith's sister started working um a day a week and we would take turns with who got to have the day off (laughs) (laughs) so um you know it was like a lot but like you said earlier in the call like it's that 
really excited feeling that you just don't even care. Like you're so excited to work. You're so excited to be there. You're making money. You know, you're like, holy yeah. crap, like someone's buying this stuff. People are excited, like they're coming back. You know, it's really like there's no other feeling like it. So um, and then it's just sort of been slow and steady growth since then. So when you first opened after you did all of the work and it was grand opening time, what was that like? I mean, like that time in my life, like I said, was like seriously so exciting and so um, joyful. Like it was just I was so proud of what we had done and coming from a like small town in Maine where I never felt like I could have I it was like mine you know what I mean I mean yes I own it with Mare but um it's like you're so proud of what you've done and what you've built and I still feel that way about my business you know it's um a tangible thing that yeah I was just gonna say tangible yeah right you look around and you're like wow, like this is me, you know, I've put my heart and soul into this and it's a piece of art, you know, like it's everything that, um, we've, we've thought up and dreamed, you know, and I mean, like I'm making it seem like super dreamy and it's like, you know, there's like, also I'm looking around and there's like, you know, a dust bunny in the corner of the fitting room and, you know, like there, it's like, you know, there's like work to be done always, but I think when you own your own business, whether it's brick and mortar or online or in whatever capacity, it's a piece of you that you can look at outside of you and be Mm -hmm. really and truly proud of. So that first couple, you know, year of business was so exciting and our friends were so excited for us and our parents were so proud of us. And, you know, it was just like really, really, really exciting. Yeah, that's inspiring. So now 10, almost 10 years in, what has evolved since then? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the store is totally different. It's not totally different, but it's much more um, niche and like focused on providing a wider range of sizes and to a wider range of all types of people. And we have a big staff and we, Meredith and I are only there three days a week, um, basically because we both have young children and childcare is like astronomically expensive (laughs) and um, we have to make sacrifices around that, but we are there three days a week and um, just trying to connect with our customers as much as possible and trying to build and iterate. And it's just like a much bigger sort of operation than it was then, um, which I'm obviously very glad that it's a bigger operation, (laughs) Um, but uh, it's different. And um our relationship to the store is um, is different, but it is sort of like I always like appreciate the store because it has allowed me to build a life and a lifestyle that allows me for a lot of freedom and flexibility. On one hand, that's true. When I say freedom, sometimes freedom is a loaded word in the brick and mortar community because ultimately, are you ever really free? Not really. Like there's always going to be, you're free as long as like your staff member doesn't call in sick, right? Like (laughs) it's like you always are there to sort of have to, you know, play the the boss lady in that way. Um, But but, it's still always up to you kind of yeah. Now you're carrying all types of sizes for all types of people. So is body posi- positivity something that you think about a lot when curating your stock? Yes, 100%. It's really important that our customers leave feeling better than they did when they co- they came in. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people have a very emotional relationship to their body like their breasts and bras a lot of times people aren't given tools at a young age to that make them feel not embarrassed or traumatized by their breasts depending on their like life experiences and we think that you know 
people come in and they're like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to get fit. I've never done it. You know, they're just like so resistant. And then we try to make it as painless as possible and to find them something that makes them feel like, first of all, comfortable. It's not about like feeling like sexy or I mean, that comes into it. But we want our clients to know that their bra fits them, that it is comfortable on their bodies, that it's something that they can just grab in the morning and not think about or worry or worry about or hate, you know, like it can Mm -hmm. be like body neutrality around it rather than. I hate my body. I love my body. It's just sort right. of like I am in this body. Mm-hmm. My bra is supportive. I do not have back pain. Like it's just we our whole hope for our customer is that they just leave being like, well, that wasn't so bad, you know, and those <laughs> yeah. those women that work in their care and they want me to be comfortable and I had a lot of fun with them. That's awesome. We need more spaces like that because I remember when I was young going bra shopping with my mom was, I dreaded it so much. Do you have young girls coming into the shop to get their first bra or is it mainly more of an adult kind of demographic? So we do, but mainly it's an older demographic. Um, It's probably like our demographic is probably, um, probably like 28 to 35 would be like our core. Um, Mm. But really it's, we find that it's women at different points in their lives. Like, well, like have a lot of nursing moms. And then like a few years later, maybe the, or a couple of years later, those moms are done nursing and they come back and they're like, I need to be refit because your body changes a lot. You know, like your body changes a lot when you go on birth control, like, you know, when you're, you know, 18 or whenever you go on birth control, like whatever. And then if you go off of birth control or if you decide to get pregnant or you decide that you want to change genders, like whatever, you know, like there's definitely like a lot, whenever there's hormones involved, like your body is changing. Um, So we find that there's a lot of, of, like I said, you know, women that are pregnant, that their boobs Mm -hmm. are like going crazy, (laughs) you know, and they have, you know, so it's sort of like, um, it's all kinds of different people. It's really hard for me to like give a demographic um, because it really is like all different people. That's cool that you get to be the person that helps these people at those times. Yeah, too. I agree. I agree. I feel very fortunate to do that because sometimes it can be a little bit um, emotional and we always kind of say like, we should probably like have a degree in therapy after <laughs> this is all over. Um, and I'm not, not to diminish like therapists or anything, right, right. but I'm, you know, in the fitting room and you can really, it's very private, you know, and people feel very, if you've done your job, they feel comfortable enough to kind of get intimate with you and to, you know, I mean, we, people have cried in the fitting rooms. People have, um, freaked out you know there's so many different emotions at play um and in some of these situations um but I do feel at the end of the day so lucky to be able to like help people through that process yeah that's really valuable work to be doing so that's awesome so how do you yeah you're welcome how do you go about curating the products that you have in the store and deciding which things to have in your store and which things that you don't want to like about who to buy from. Mm. Well, we buy always with our customers in mind. So if there's a brand that I'm like not aesthetically crazy over, but my customers are going crazy for it, I'll always bring it in. Um, We buy a lot of independent brands um, and it's nice. Like a lot of them have gotten a lot of them have gotten bigger and then have, and have been able to sort of put out more, which has been really exciting. But of course that brings like a whole other, you know, layer of, um, thoughts behind it, I guess, when people, when companies get big and that's a whole nother thing. But, mm-hmm. 
we always try to, like I said, buy with our customers in mind and to bring in things that are going to be comfortable and supportive and provide joy for the wearer. And we've been pretty fortunate that um, we have great relationships with all our vendors. We trust them in terms of where the things are being made. And we are always looking for to pick up independent designers. What happens, and I think like any listeners that you may have that are brick and mortar business owners or in retail, the super small and independent designers are tend to be a little bit more expensive, which I understand because they're trying to make it and I get it. They're shipping and their design process and all of that can be a little bit less consistent. Um, And sometimes in our experience, it's been a little different, difficult to work with really, really, really small designers. Um, But the mid-size ones and the small ones that actually only focus on like one thing Mm. are ultimately very successful at our shop. Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of helpful to hear. So I want to circle back. You were mentioning how business plans are so important. So for the listener who is really just overwhelmed by that idea of even getting started with that, what would you say to them? Well, I think you have to accept the fact that it is overwhelming and it is like a labor of love. If you can't get through writing a hard business plan, then you're probably not going to be able to make it as a business owner. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, I mean, I, I know that sounds like kind of harsh, but if you approach it, kind of systematically and and in bits and pieces, like while you're still doing whatever it is that you're doing, you know, if you have a full-time job or you're in school or whatever, and you know, you know, if you just sort of say like, look, I'm going to do the introduction by next week, or, you know, you, you can take it in very incremental pieces and it, and sort of look at it as almost like a class, like you're going, you know, you're setting aside a certain amount of time every week to work on this business plan. And if you're showing up for it and you're um, consistent with it and you turn off your distractions, like I'm not good at doing, but I Mm -hmm. aspire to turn off my, all my distractions, Um, you know, and you can really put your, your nose down and really do even two hours a week. You will have that business plan written in a month. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, and it's so beneficial because if you are trying to get a loan or if you're trying to get space, like you're not going to be able to do it without a business plan. They're going to look at you. It's hard enough if you've got a really well done business plan. Like they're going to look at you and be like, you're not serious. And it's very, it's competitive. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously it kind of depends on where you are. If you're in a really, really little town and you know the you know, people that are renting space to you. And, you know, I mean, obviously everything is a little different, but in our situation where we were going into a super competitive market and breaking into it for the first time, we never would have been taken seriously, even though we weren't taken that seriously. But I think that's another issue with our age and our sex but um (laughs) but um we like would never have made it we never would have got that space so yeah you know it's a necessary thing to do and I I think I think like if you can prove to yourself that you're dedicated enough to write the business plan then you can feel a lot more confident going into actually opening the business yeah absolutely and it helps to think about it as breaking it into multiple projects instead of just, okay, I have to sit down and write this entire business plan in one sitting, just scheduling it out. That helps a lot with all sorts of projects. So I agree completely. I was just actually talking to our accountant about this very thing. Like we're trying to figure out ways to prepare for this big thing that's going on in, in, in next August. We were talking about that exact thing. Like you're going to incrementalize things for the rest of your life, you know? So start doing it now with your business plan for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I was curious if you had any kind of rock bottom or just really hard times throughout your whole business and you just didn't really know how you were going to get through it. 
can you maybe talk to any of those experiences and talk about how you got through them? Sure. Finances are always challenging. Um, at the beginning, we would have we had a couple zero dollar days. Like we definitely have had low times financially. We've always been able to pay our staff and pay our bills. But you know, we had a really amazing 2015, and then we started sort of like plateaued, mm. and understanding that that was kind of the new reality in terms of we weren't going to keep growing like we thought we were going to was very difficult for us because when you have like this like killer year where you end the year with tons of money you know and then you don't make that kind of money at all the next year yeah it's like have I failed as a business person Mm -hmm. you know and um that was probably the hardest thing, but I think that people that have been in the business a while understand that, where that was like the first time that had happened to us, and we sort of had to reframe our version of success. Anyway, that was probably like the hardest thing for us, and we have had to readjust our expectations around money, and that has been kind of hard, but We've been pretty lucky. We have an amazing clientele and both Meredith and I are extremely dedicated. So we've never had, you know, I didn't lose a business partner ever or anything like that. So mm. so let's talk about your podcast a little bit. Why did you want to have your own podcast? Were you listening to a lot of podcasts? What was going through your head? I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I found podcasts through Serial. <laughs> Like everybody else in the world. (laughs) And then I was like, holy cow, like there's so much content here. And I was Mm. so into it. And what I couldn't find was anything for brick and mortar business owners. I was like, I mean, there were a couple, but they weren't really like doing it for me. And I was like, I'm going to start one that's dedicated to brick and mortar business. And I started recording. I got a microphone and I sat in my living room and started recording. And I was initially just going to sort of talk about my experiences and like my best practices and what's worked for us at 40 Winks. And then I was like, listen, you know, you're listening. You've started a podcast. You know, you're like listening to Mm -hmm. your first ones and you're like, "Uh, I don't know. Like, and for me personally, I was like, I don't, this is not going to resonate with people. I need to actually talk to brick and mortar business owners and to like form community around this. So I decided to scratch my idea of like giving my best practices. And I reached out to brick and mortar business owners in my community and I asked them if they wanted to be interviewed and Mm -hmm. they were so excited. And it's been such a joy to get to know people and to get to know their best practices and share my best practices and to form this community that's like, you know, expanding all over the country and to just understand that, like, none of us are in this alone, that it's something that is that the like the fears and the joys and the apprehensions and the middle of the night sweats over money that all happens to all of us, you know. And um, it's just been a real, like, blessing in my life, for lack of a better word, to have that community. Um, And so, like, I always say it's, like, really valuable to me to just have those conversations. And I think it is valuable to other people as well. Mm -hmm. And I think with even while you're talking to other people, you still are able to kind of put your own spin on things and share your what you went through in a way. Yes, absolutely. So all of that that I wanted to do does, of course, come out. But I think it's just a much more valuable sort of listening experience to have two people talking about it. Yeah, and so many different brick and mortars. You have such a wide array of businesses that you talk to. Yeah, I try to keep it it pretty, you know diverse, I guess, because there's so many different, I mean, 
I always am like, am I going to run out of people? And then I'm like, there's no way. There's so many different types of businesses out there. So. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. So what is something that you have learned from talking to other brick and mortar businesses? What is something that really just always keeps coming up? I think for me, it's something that I always knew, but through this podcast, it's really just been driven home over and over and over again about how important it is to spend money at the places that we want in our communities. Mm. So people are always complaining that like online's taking over and blah, blah, blah. Well, it wouldn't <laughs> if we were all spending money at the local spots. And yeah. I think in my last episode that I just released, we talked about, I mean, we talk about this all the time on the show, but this one's in like recent memory, just about how, if you love a space, like you have to, the the woman that I talked to said, if you love a space and you brag about having it in your city, you need to be spending your money there. So, mm-hmm. like, if it's something that has given, brought you joy, you can bring your friends there, you show it off, you like having it in your city and in your community, like, you have to find a way to support it financially because none of these businesses will make it without money. It's not enough to go yeah. in and be like, how pretty is this space? It's so beautiful. And you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Right. You have to buy like even a $5 card, mm-hmm. you know? So I think yeah, that, we're voting with our dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're voting for the kind of life you want and you want for your community and you want for your friends and your family and your children and all of that. So if you don't want an Amazon warehouse, you know, down by the river in your community, <laughs> like, and you want a main street, then we have to make a conscious effort to, to support those people with our money and also with our, like, support in terms of just saying, hey, you're doing a really good job. I love your space. You know, like, it feels really good to hear that. It feels really good to have a person leave your space happy with something that they love and, on hard days, like when you're having a zero dollar day, which I know a lot of people do, you know, especially this time of year. (laughs) Um, it feels really good to hear those kinds of encouragements. So, yeah, absolutely. And if as community members, if we're going to spend money, why not spend it in our community instead of from target? I mean, target can be great sometimes, you you know, last minute, but it just makes such a difference. Right. I mean, you can get a candle at Target or you could get a candle from someone who's like actually going to feel the impact of your dollar, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, like the candle is probably going to be a lot better for you to breathe in if you get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And just so much more love goes yeah. into it. Just, yeah, it's just all around just a lot better it's more of a it's more of a authentic experience, I would say. Agreed. And I think right. I think that people are looking for authenticity in their experiences now because we are feeling more and more isolated, right? Like mm-hmm. we are kind of an isolated group of people in a lot of ways. Like, you know, we can hide behind our computers and we can do a lot of different things, but I think people are getting sick of that and they want to connect with yeah. people and they want to build community and what better way than to go out and, you know, shop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. With, I know it's with social media, it's become really easy to just hide behind a screen, but I think we're starting to definitely reverse away from that and realize that no, like we want to make eye contact with people yeah. and, shake their hand. And you had your keeping shop retreat recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, so I, in June, I had a couple of glasses of wine and I (laughs) booked a Airbnb in upstate New York and it was really expensive. And I put it on my credit card and I was like, I hope people come. And Mm -hmm. I started, um, sort of reaching out to people in my, you know, immediate keeping shop community and, um, people signed up and we 
um, eight of us went to right outside of Hudson um, in upstate New York. Um, we found ourselves in the middle of the woods in this beautiful space and we were there for two nights and you know two and a half days and um it was really magical in terms of like really deeply connecting so the podcast connects and like the community is there but Mm -hmm. then it was like a layer deeper you know and we were able to like I mean we were crying we were sharing mommy stories like it was like you know that was all kind of after hours um but it was really really um nice to all be together to that with people that had a true common thread You know, like we all do the same thing. We're all kind of similar personalities because you have to be sort of a a person, a certain personality to own a business like that. And um, it was just really, it was something that I was really looking for. Um, So I, similar to the podcast, I was just like, well, I'm just going to do it myself because Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. finding it immediately in my community. So I'm going to create it and it, um, we're going to do it again next year. So it's really, it's really exciting. And it was really, I think valuable. I know for me personally, it was super valuable to spend time with those women and to connect, um, were some of them people that were guests on your podcast? Yeah. Um, actually, most of the um let me think i think half have been guests and um the other half were newer that's cool yeah yeah it's something that i want to do with my podcast is just really turning it into a community not just microphones and episodes on the internet but really coming together and having real relationships so yeah and i think that that's um, a really admirable and smart way to approach a podcast because these are pretty niche podcasts, you know, like mm-hmm. this isn't like going to be on iTunes or Apple podcasts, whatever, <laughs> um, you know, like in, in like the top 10, I mean, that would be awesome, but like, it's niche. Mm-hmm. It's not, yeah. it's not like for the masses. It's for right. a, a type of person, a particular person who's in a particular lifestyle. And, um, we have the opportunity in that to really build a real intimate community around the podcast. So I I think it's really exciting and I think you're smart to do that. Yeah. I didn't even really think about it that way because I feel like when you first start something, whether it's a podcast or a blog or even just a new Instagram, you're so worried about people finding you and getting followers and listeners. So that's definitely helpful to think about. Yeah. And I mean, I do. I mean, I fall into the trap of like, how many downloads did I get? And like, I mean, we all do. It's like our ego, right? Like, we we want it to be successful. And like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind being on like top charts. But on the other hand, like I, I, as I kind of continued with the podcast and, you know, it's like a lot of work, as you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you want, you know, I realized that the real value in it was just like a small amount of people kind of coming together. Um, And it's not just the fanfare of being on a chart or or whatever. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. Because sometimes that small amount of people is brings even more quality to the community than a larger amount of people. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I think that that's very, very true in a lot of aspects. And of, you know, the bigger you get sometimes, like the more diluted it is, and it's not as meaningful of an experience. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. And you've shared so much. Is there anything that you're looking forward to this year? Oh yeah, so many things. I'm excited for the po- the podcast and that community to to grow and um I just you know, I don't know. I don't have anything in particular. I'm not going on vacation. <laughs> um but I think I would say like another retreat for keeping shop and then just continued growth um for 40 Winks and um I'm excited to see where where it all goes. And I'm, I'm excited that I'm still excited about my businesses. So that's mm-hmm. always something, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. That's all super exciting. And how can people connect with you? Yeah. So um, my brick and mortar is in Harvard Square. It's 40 Winks. Um, you can also find us online at shop40winks.com. And then if you want to check out the podcast, it's called Keeping Shop. It's on all the big um, listening sort of agents. Um, and I also have a website for Keeping Shop, which is lovekeepingshop.com. Awesome. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that we finally got to connect. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Rachel. And thank you, Rachel, for joining the podcast. I'm so glad that we got to connect. If you would like to find out more about Rachel, I will leave links in the show notes of how you can connect with her. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Until then, I'll see you on Instagram. Follow me at Podcast. You can shoot an email to museroompodcast at gmail.com. My website is museroom.space. And please consider leaving a review and rating and sharing with a friend. All right, well, thank you again for listening. Have a great week.